morning. Today's scripture reading is from Psalm 102. Um, It's printed on page six of the bulletin, if you'd like to follow along as I read. Hear my prayer, O Lord. Let my cry come to you. Do not hide your face from me in the day of my distress. Incline your ear to me. Answer me speedily in the day when I call. For my days pass away like smoke, and my bones burn like a furnace. My heart is struck down like grass and is withered. I forget to eat my bread. Because of my loud groaning, my bones cling to my flesh. I am like a desert owl of the wilderness, like an owl of the waste places. I lie awake. I am like a lonely sparrow on the housetop. All the day my enemies taunt me. Those who deride me use my name for a curse. For I eat ashes like bread and and mingle tears with my drink because your indignation and anger. For you have taken me up and thrown me down. My days are like an evening shadow. I wither away like grass. But you, O Lord, are enthroned forever. You are remembered throughout all generations. You will arise and have pity on Zion. It is the time to favor her. The appointed time has come. For your servants hold her stones dear and have pity on her dust. Nations will, na- will fear the name of the Lord, and all the kings of the earth will fear your glory. For the Lord builds up Zion. He appears in his glory. He regards the prayer of the destitute and does not despise their prayer. Let this be recorded for a generation to come, so that a people yet to be created may praise the Lord, that he looked down from his holy height. From heaven the Lord looked at the earth to hear the groans of the prisoners, to set free those who are doomed to die, that they may declare in Zion the name of the Lord, and in Jerusalem his praise, when peoples gather together and kingdoms to worship the Lord. He has broken my strength in mid-course. He has shortened my days. O my God, I say, take me not away in the midst of my days, you whose years endure throughout all generations. Of old you laid the foundations of the earth, and the heavens are the work of your hands. They will perish, but you will remain. They will all wear out like a garment. You will change them like a robe, and they will pass away. But you are the same, and your years have no end. The children of your servants shall shall dwell secure. Their offspring shall be established before you. Buenos dias. La lectura de hoy viene de Salmo 102. Llegue a ti mi clamor, no escondas de mí tu rostro en el día de mi angustia. Inclina a ti, inclina a mí tu oído en el día en que te invoque, apresúrate a responderme, porque mis días se han disipado como humo, mis huesos arden como un brasero, mi corazón ha sido herido y se ha secado como la hierba, por lo cual me olvidé de comer mi pan. Por la voz de mi gemido, mis huesos se han pegado a mi carne. Soy semejante al búho del desierto. Soy como la lechuza de los sequedales. Estoy insomne. Soy como un pájaro solitario sobre el tejado. Todo el día me enfrentan mis enemigos. Los que me escarnecen se han conjurado contra mí. Por eso he comido ceniza como pan y he bebido mezcla. Y mi bebida mezclo con llanto a causa de tu enojo y de tu ira, porque me levantaste y me arrojaste. Mis días son como la sombra que se va. <coughs> me he secado como la hierba, pero tú, oh Señor, permanecerás para siempre. 
y tu memoria de generación en generación. Levántate y ten misericordia de Sion, porque ha llegado el tiempo de tener compasión de ella. Tus siervos aman sus piedras y de su polvo tienen compasión. Entonces las naciones temerán el nombre del Señor y todos los reyes de la tierra temerán tu gloria. Por cuanto el Señor habrá edificado a Sion, será visto en su gloria. Habrá considerado la oración de los despojados y no habrá desechado el ruego de ellos. Se ha escrito esto para las generaciones venideras y un pueblo que será creado alabará al Señor. Porque miró desde lo alto de su santuario, el Señor miró desde los cielos a la tierra para oír el gemido de los presos y para liberar a los sentenciados a muerte. Para contar en Sion del nombre del Señor y de su alabanza en Jerusalén, cuando los pueblos y reinos se congreguen en uno para servir al Señor. Debilitó mi fuerza en el camino y acortó mis días. Dije, Dios mío, no me lleves en la mitad de mis días. Tus años duran por generación y generación. Tú fundaste la tierra en la antigüedad. Los cielos son obras, obra de tus manos. Ellos perecerán, per, perecerán, pero tú permanecerás. Todos ellos se envejecerán como un vestido. Como a ropa los cambiarás y pasarán. Pero tú eres el mismo y tus años no se acabarán. Los hijos de tus siervos habitarán seguros y su descendencia estará firme delante de ti. Well, good morning. I have the privilege of opening God's word this morning while our pastor is away. And I, I got in last night. We were actually together this weekend at a conference, and uh, I got in last night because I just had to be here <laughs> to be with the people of God. But I'm glad to be back, glad to be with you, and glad to focus on what God would have for us this morning. As we end our study of who is God? We have been looking at the different attributes of God, from the knowability of God to the omniscience of God to the omnipresence of God to the beauty of God to the wrath of God and his justice, all the way down to today, the unchanging God. So we want to take time to, to look at his immutability, as scholars call it, uh, meaning he's just unchanging in all his ways. So as we begin, I would like to pray. Let's bow our heads. Holy Father, I am humbled by your mercy upon a sinner like me, that you will use, a, as they say, a crooked stick. And Lord, only you can make a straight line. So I ask that you will open our hearts and our minds to what your spirit would do this morning, that we may behold marvelous wonderful, glorious things in this portion of your word, oh God. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. I am getting old. That's what James Davis said to me. He said, I'm getting old. I don't get around like I used to. I'm old now. And I began to think, wow, he must have had some experiences in life. He must have been places must have seen things. And he was saying this all at the ripe age of 42. 
And so I don't know what he was doing with his time in that small town, maybe just watching the days go by. Because if, you if you're not active, if you're not in a city like Washington, D.C., maybe things move a little slower. The time passes by a little slower. The days are, are longer, perhaps. So he may have felt like, I'm getting old in all of his responsibilities of taking care of his mom and just seeing his friends and driving around every day. But we know one who is old as well. In fact, he is eternal, and God is unchanging. We may change, we are set to change, and it's good for us to change. For God has created us in, in his image. He put us in a garden to work it and to keep it. But he gave us an incorruptible nature there. And you know what happened. The fall happened. Sin entered the world. And then we were set to decay. Now we have changed all about us, not only culturally and the things that we make and the things that we do and how we flourish, but also destructively in how we treat our planet, how we treat one another, and how we continue to move down this path of corruption, corruption in our hearts. So we need a change. And the only change that can happen is one who is unchangeable, perfect in all his ways. The one who could come and, and mold us and change us into the way that he has meant for us to be. And that one is God Almighty, for he is the unchanging God. And as we see here in verses 26 and 27, it's, it reads, They will perish, meaning the people of the earth, but you will remain. They will all wear out like a garment. You will change them like a robe, and they will pass away. But you are the same, and your years have no end. You see, God is devoid of all change. In his person, we see that he does not become old, neither does he become young. We see that God is called the Ancient of Days, but he doesn't grow old. There are no improvements or deterioration with God. And so we, we can lean upon a God like that. We can trust that he will be ever-present in our lives. But if we have a God that changes like the wind, like the wind of our circumstances, like the, the wind of our, our troubles, if we have a God that sets us up and down and down and up, and it depends on our faith and belief in him based on our circumstances, what type of God is that? What type of God would that be? How could we trust in a God like that if our circumstances dictate what we believe in? God is unchanging. We see this in Psalm 90, verse 2. Before the mountains were brought forth, or ever you have formed the earth or the world, from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. God is unchanging in his perfection. He's perfect in all his ways. And his perfection remains throughout eternity. It's sort of hard to fathom a God that's perfect like this because we're so fallen and that we come up short. But he gives us a little glimpse of what this means. He opens our eyes to it. 
to see that perfection means in and out. Our motives, we're, we could be perfect. He, could, he is perfect, and he can make us perfect. Uh, just through our attitude towards other people, there can be perfection there, but we're not there yet. One day, one day, but we're not there yet. God is perfect, and it says here in Exodus 3, verse 14, he tells Moses this, I am who I am. Like, God, what, what do you mean right there? I am who I am. Okay. You can be anything? I am who I am? This is what you are to say to the Israelites. He said, I am has sent you. The God who is. In Psalm 1830, we see this God, his way is perfect. The word of the Lord proves true. He is a shield for all those who take refuge in him. His word proves true, and his word proves true in his purposes as well. God, in his ways, and his purpose, will prevail when all else fails around us. His plans will not come to an end, and contrary to popular belief, he does, he does not have a plan B for your life. It may seem that way as we go through life and as we go through certain humps and seasons of life. It may appear that God has a plan B, and we can look back and say, yeah, that didn't work out so good for me. Now I'm on this new track. It's like, no, if God really is purposeful in all of his perfection and planning, there's no plan B. It's only his plan for our lives that he sees through. In Proverbs 19, it says, many are the plans in the man, in the mind of a man, but it is the purpose of the Lord that will stand. Again, in, in Numbers 23, 19, a popular verse, God is not a man that he should lie, nor son of man that he should change his mind. Does he speak and then not act? Does he promise and not fulfill? These rhetorical questions set our mind at ease in knowing that God is one who stands by his word, that he is not like us, thanks be to God, in terms of how we go back and forth on our word how we change our minds constantly, day in and day out in circumstances. I can tell my kids in, in one moment, yes, that, that's okay. But in the next, I change my mind. No, you, you shouldn't play with your, daughter, I mean, your, uh, your sister that way. And so we change our minds about things in life. But God only has one plan. And through his promises, we see that he is faithful. And he does not change his mind about his promises as well. Some would say, you know, aren't those verses in the Bible about God, you know, some of those verses seem like he, he changes his mind. One scholar put it, puts it this way, based on those verses. The divine immutability, God unchanging, should not be understood as implying immobility, as if there were no movement in God. God is always in action. The Bible teaches us that God enters into manifold relations with man and, as it were, lives their life with them. There's change round about him, change in relations of men to him, but there is no change in his being. His attributes, his purpose, his motives of action are his promises. There's no change in God. 
God said to Joshua in Joshua 1.9, Have I not commanded you, be strong and courageous. Do not be frightened. Do not be dismayed. For the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. But see, God is unchanging in his nature. But God can enter in time and space with us, to be with us, to move us, to change us into his likeness and purposes. And so as we look at this psalm here, we see someone who is in deep anguish of the soul. He is crying out to God. He is in desperate need for the covenant-keeping God, the God who has made promises and commitments to his people. He's crying out to that God. And so we begin to see that in, in our lives as well. We can begin to relate to him as we think about our lives, as we think about the, the lives of others. So in light of God's unchanging nature, the, psalm, the psalmist brings us to see simply, first line, that we must pray for help. But how does he instruct us to do this? He says in verses 1 and 2 that we are to cry out to God. Hear my prayer, O Lord. Let my cry come to you. Do not hide your face from me in the day of my distress. Incline your ear to me. Answer me speedily in the day when I call. So he is crying out to God here in desperate need, in anguish of the soul. He is saying, God, where are you? Where are you, O Lord, in my time of distress? It's almost repetitious here in how he cries out to God, pleading to God that God will give ear to him, that he would turn and answer speedily. And we know at times God is silent in his prayers. We pray and pray and pray and pray. And it seems like God doesn't answer our prayers. And I believe we too can be in this disposition of God, where are you? You see that my mother, my, my sister there, they do not believe, oh Lord. Or one of my friends who just had her mom, her mom just passed, and her mom was sick for some years, and they cried out, oh God, heal her. Bring her to restoration. There's more work to be done here on earth. She is a good worker, crying out to God in desperation that God will come, that God will do something, that he will move in our time and space to bring something that we desire, that we need. God doesn't always answer. And this may be disheartening to you this morning, but God does answer at times as well. And I hope during those times you will see that, wow, he really is faithful, but God is ultimately faithful to his unchanging plan in eternity to do what he said he would do overall to bring us redemption. Another thing we see how we are instructed uh, to pray for this help is, is how the psalmist began to uh, confess his frailty, his cry for help in verses 3 through 8. You know, he, he's saying things like, you know, my days pass away like smoke. They're just going, going away like a vapor, like a mist. My bones burn like a furnace. 
such anguish of the soul. My heart is struck down like grass and has withered within him. It's just hollowed out, it sounds like. I forget to eat my bread. His appetite is, is gone far from him. Because of my loud groaning, my bones cling to my flesh. So we got a picture here of somebody who is wasting away, quite literally. I'm like a desert owl of the wilderness, like an owl of the waste places. I lie awake. I'm like a lonely sparrow on the housetop. If you've ever been deeply sick physically, you know what this is like. The loneliness that comes, the quietness that comes, the questions that come. Oh, Lord, where are you in my day of distress? Where are you, God? It's painful here. I cannot bear it any longer. When will there be relief? Those are some of the questions that come up when we're in this, this position of loneliness. Or maybe it's not physical. Maybe it's, it's uh, emotional loneliness, just a sadness of the soul. Is there anybody there, oh God, that loves me? Really, God, who can I depend on? I've been betrayed so much. How can I go on trusting people to have my back, to love me? when I feel so lonely and unlovable. And then on top of that, we see that his enemies taunt him. They don't let up. They kick him while he is down, while he's in anguish. Those who deride me use my name for a curse. We don't want to be like that guy. And in ancient Israel, it was terrible to be sick like this. We, we can only remember Job, you know, who, who Satan tempted and, and brought all kinds of sicknesses towards him and took away his family. His friends came. They were quiet at first, but after a while, they began to speak. And they began to say, you must have done something that this is happening to you. You must have moved against God in a certain way to disobey him, to not uphold his will. And at times, we don't have a, an explanation for our suffering. We don't have an explanation for why things happen to us. And so his friends weren't helpful when they began to say, you must have done something. Granted, we all are guilty of something, but at times, we can't do anything about the disasters that, that happen in our nation. We can't do anything about the, the weather patterns or situations when we're driving about in our cars here in the city. Things happen to us, and there's no way to explain the suffering. But the question is, when there's suffering Amongst your brothers and your sisters, your friends and your family, will you be with them in that suffering? Will you come and sit with them and empathize with them? Will you hold your judgments from them? Yes, they, they, they may have done something wrong, but the need in the moment is for the relief of the soul. 
would God use you to be there to alleviate the loneliness of a friend by you giving your heart and then weeping with them and, and, and being where they are with them? That's the call to us today as we cry out to God and as we confess our frailty to him as the psalmist is doing here. The second thing I want, to, want us to move into now is just looking at how we must proclaim God's commitments. You know, looking at how we must cry out to him, yes, crying out to God. We all have to come to this place of desperation of our soul to want God more. But God is committed to us. And this is something the psalm realizes as he thinks upon the Lord. And that's this, this, this turning point of the psalm here in verse 12. He said, but you, O Lord, are enthroned forever. You are remembered throughout all generations. The psalmist actually remembers that God is eternal and that he's unchanging. He remembers this and he begins to speak of God's commitments here. First of all, to, to his name, that God is committed to his name. That, that forever and ever, that God upholds his faithfulness. He upholds his name. He's the one enthroned forever. The second thing to note here in verse 13 and 14 is God is committed to rebuilding his people. And it's interesting how the, the psalmist moved from this, this personal cry to now he's crying out for Zion, Jerusalem, that is, his people. He's crying out for them. He said, you will arise and have pity on Zion. It is the time to favor her. The appointed time has come for your servants. Hold her, for your servants, hold her stones dear and have pity on her dust. Not only crying out for himself, but for his people and saying, God, you're committed to Zion. You have given your promises to her to make her a people and to make her to be a blessing in the world. Yes, Zion has failed at this, but God, you are committed to rebuilding the city. You are committed to rebuilding the people. God, you are committed to rebuilding me. This is your plan in my life. You're committed to rebuilding a people. And thirdly, we see here, God is committed to the salvation of other peoples as well. So it's not just the church's uh, needs that God fulfills. God fulfills the needs of those in the nations as well. Verse 15, nations will fear the name of the Lord, and all the kings of the earth will fear your glory. And we see this too in verses 21. That they may, this is the reason, that they may declare in Zion the name of the Lord and in Jerusalem his praise. When peoples gather together in kingdom to worship the Lord. God is not there only for us, but for the salvation of other peoples around us. And this should have been transformative for the people singing this psalm in the day of the psalmist. That God would not only turn his attention to the people of Israel, but to the nations around Israel and to the world. 
And we, as we sit here today and as we stand here today, we can look and see that God has been faithful to this promise. We are the nations. We are the people that he has brought in. We are the people that God had in mind from eternity past, if you will. We are the people, the chosen ones, that God said that I'm going to make you a great nation, Abraham, and you will be a great blessing to all the families on the earth. And we see God has fulfilled this in our midst. God is committed to our salvation. He's committed to future generations, our children as well, and the children of those around the world. He's committed to them. Let this be, verse 18, let this be recorded for a generation to come so that a people yet to be created may praise the Lord. You know, Jesus said, I have other sheep that are not of the fold. They must come as well. God is calling other peoples that, you know, he has looked down from his holy height, from heaven, and he's looked and he's seen and he's intervened and he called other people and he's calling people in future generations. So those of you who have kids in our midst and we are troubled by our kids, we, we pray for them as we should do, I think it's worth remembering that God is committed to generations. He's committed to our children and our children's children for many generations to come. And it's such an honor, it's such a privilege that we will play a part in that. Though not perfectly, I can tell you from my experiences with my kids, it's not perfect, but it is something that God is committed to. Because he has to turn my heart each and every day from my selfishness as I sit there at home and get up and just want to go and be about what I want to do. He has to turn my heart towards Geo, towards Pearl and, and Sky. Some days I become tired and weary in this work of building up a future generation unto the Lord. It's like, God, I, I, don't, I, I don't have enough in me at times. So you have to move in my heart. You have to give me the grace to continue to move forward. That's the only way. Because I don't know what to do with my son's attitude at times. It's like, okay, I'm bigger than you. You know, you, you, <laughs> I don't know why you just said that. Uh, I mean, what can I do, oh God? I don't know. I don't know how to navigate this terrain. Uh, I need your wisdom. So God is committed, though, to giving us that wisdom at times when we need it. It's not going to be perfect. But he's working out something so that there will be future generations, so that his name is glorified in heaven, so that he is committed to the promises that he has given in the past. And we see here that the Lord, you know, he is, he's called us, you know, to really cry out, not just for our own sakes, but for the sake of others as well, because he is so committed to them. And he wants us to proclaim his commitment to one another. Brother, sister, God is committed to you. He loves you. He, he is, he's good on his promises. And he will fulfill them. He's committed to our kids. And he's going to keep them. We continue to pray for, you know, our children's uh, ministry director. And we will continue to pray for that. 
But until then, he's committed to our children to put us in front of them, to teach them what God has said, and to be patient with them and loving with them. But thirdly, I just want to point out that, you know, we definitely must cry out to God. We also, we, we must proclaim his commitments to us and even say that to ourselves every day. But also, we must purpose our lives in Christ because that's what this psalm is about. You know, scholars have debated really what this psalm is about. You know, some say, some people say it's a psalm of lamentations and, and others say, well, it really is a messianic psalm. And some say that, you know, it's really about, you know, fathers and their children. But it's about Christ. It's about Christ. As we look here in verses 25 and 26, it says, Of old you laid the foundation of the earth, and the heavens are the work of your hands. They will perish, but you will remain. They will all wear out like a garment. You will change them like a robe. And they will pass away, but you are the same, and your years have no end. The author of Hebrews brought this into focus for us in chapter 1. Because there he begins to write about how God spoke through the prophets of old, but now he speaks through this, the Son. And then he goes on and talks about the, the things that God has said based on the sons intervening in our lives. And one thing that he says here in verse 10 and 12 of Hebrews chapter 1, of the son, he says, and you, Lord, laid the foundation of the earth in the beginning, and the heavens and the work of your hands. They will perish, but you remain. They will all wear out like a garment, like a robe. You will roll them up. Like a garment, they will be changed. But you are the same, and your years will have no end. It's about Christ and what Christ has done. It's about how Christ cried out to the Father in his time of anguish on the cross. They cried their reliction, my God, my God, why are you forsaking me? It's about Christ's bones aching on the cross and how he was naked there and how his his skin was, you know, sticking to his bones there on the cross. It's about him crying out to God and, and how God's righteous indignation was towards Christ on the cross. His wrath poured out on him. Again, we see in this psalm that it's about Christ. Christ is the one who will be enthroned forever. He is great David's greatest son who will remain on the throne. God is true to that promise as well that he given David. It's Christ through whom the nations will fear the name of the Lord and the kings of the earth. It's through him who is the Lord of all lords and the kings of all kings. It's Christ through whom the prisoners will be set free, as it says there in Ephesians, that he set them free, that he will set us free as well. It's Christ of old that God created the world, that, that God made a plan that his son will accomplish and that his spirit will apply to our lives. It's Christ. So the purpose of our lives 
of our lives is in him and in him alone. He is the unchanging God. He is the one who will not waste away. He is the one who will sit on the throne and judge righteously. He is the one who will bring salvation in our day, in our in many days to come. Christ is the one who will return to bring full restoration here. He will return to alleviate all suffering. He is the one, even now, by the Spirit in our midst, saying, cry out to me, you who are heavy and, and heavy laden. Cry out to me. You will find rest for your souls. I'm the one, you know, who is the same today, yesterday, and forevermore. Christ died on the cross for you and me. But God did not die on the cross. Because if God would have died on the cross, we would not be here today, wouldn't we? There would not be a sun, a moon in the sky. There would not be the stars. There would not be plants and trees and the earth as we know it. Because if God ceased to exist, it's over. But Christ did die fully man on that cross, fully God, but God didn't die, but Christ died on the cross so that he could be the sacrifice for our sin. You see, the first man failed. Our head, our representative and our federal head, he fell in his responsibility to obey God. But Christ obeyed fully. He was obedient even to death, death on the cross. And he died in our place as a perfect substitute, the only man that could do it, the only perfect one that could do it. And so he gave up the spirit and went to the Father. But on the third day, he resurrected, showing that this is the story God has given us, that if he raised Christ from the dead by the same spirit that he placed in us, what would he do with us? He would raise us in times of our affliction. He would raise us in time of our distress, though may not immediately, but ultimately making us like the son that he loves. This is the gospel of Christ. This is what he has done. You know, we will continue to witness change after change after change in our world. You know, seasons come and go. Even children, even we will waste away. One day we will not be here. But we have work to do while we are here. We will change. But guess what? God has given us his spirit as a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance. With that, our nature in Christ is set for eternity. We have become like him in spirit. We are with him at the right hand of the Father on high by his spirit. And we will not receive any more of the spirit than we have right now. So God has done an amazing thing to link us to Christ, who is our head. And so now, if you're in Christ, your nature is set. You no longer have to worry about, you know, whether or not you're going to fall away from this great salvation. Christ has you. He will keep you. Yes, we still struggle and wrestle with the brokenness of this world and the, and the frailty of our bodies and the, 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 the shortcomings that we have in our decisions. But the reality is, we 
will not change. Christ will not take away his salvation from us. That's the reality of our nature, of our identity, of our significance, of our dignity in Christ. Yes, sanctification will continue to happen. He will continue to grow us. But in, but in terms of us being justified in him, in terms of us being adopted in him, in terms of us being called in him, if you name the name of Christ today and you know him, you're set for eternity. And you're willing to move now to seek his face in your time of affliction, to seek his face when you have erred. You, 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 you will move in repentance to love him more because you realize how much Christ has loved you. That's what he's calling us to. The unchanging God is committed. Therefore, we're the ones who we have someone to cry out to who will always be there and who will never change. Light shift and shadow. He will never change. He's, he would never change his mind about us, about his blood-bought ones, but we are secured in him. So we must proclaim that, wow, God is committed. He's committed to you. He's committed to me. So cry out to him. He's committed to us. And so we have this assurance of our purpose as we're in Christ Jesus. Let's pray. Lord, thank you so much for how you give us your gospel of grace. Lord, at times we wonder how everything will work out. But God, you have set our hearts at ease so that, so that we would know in this place, even now, Father, that you have done a work. So I just ask, Lord Jesus, would you remind us of your truth every day that we may walk in it? Would you remind us of the commitments that you have made towards us so that we can live in light of them? Will you, O oh Lord, remind us of our assurance in Christ so that we can be set at ease, that we have an unchanging God who is forever on the throne and committed to us? We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.